And let me ask you something, because I know you've thought about this. I know you've done this before. If you could wish for anything you wanted, anything you wanted, one wish, what would you wish for? You don't have to shout it out. Um, But you probably know what it is because you probably fantasize about it. You probably already think about it a little bit. What would you do, you know? I could just have one thing. Sometimes you want it to be three wishes because you got a couple other things. We're so greedy. Where it's like, you can have anything you want. Can I have three anything's I want? You know, <laughs> like, don't push it. Sometimes you, some of you want a hundred things, but usually one thing you can figure out. And I know that manipulative wish thing where you think, I wish for a hundred more wishes. Boom, you know, that's not allowed. You just get one wish. What would you wish for? Some of you would wish for specific abilities, that you would be able to play third base like me, that you would be, what? You would be able to fly, you'd, you would be brilliant. I mean, you know, you wish for something, I wish I could turn invisible, you know, something kind of crazy like that. Others wish for a change in their life circumstances. Some of you wish there was something in your life, for some of you wish there's something that's in your life now, or maybe in your body now, you wish it would be gone. I wish that were gone. I just could wish it away. I don't know what I would wish for, but I think that if I could wish for anything that I wanted, I would wish that next Sunday morning I would come in, I'd come up on the platform and I'd just start preaching Gangnam style, you know? I would just, and, and like 50 people would get saved, and the ushers would usher in the same style, you know? It would just be so awesome, and revival would break out, and people, maybe not, but I, I wish that. Man, don't you wish that? Now you're wishing, you're thinking, I want to change my wish. Ooh, I want to wish that too. What's your biggest wish, really, if it could come true? What if the person you were asking the wish from had infinite resources? They could make it happen. It's like a bottomless well. What if they had uh, all kinds of, of political power? Or, or you, know, you could have it. You could have it. That is the exact situation of the story that we're going to look at today that's going to wrap up uh, this kingdom series that we've been talking about. Over the last several weeks, we've looked at the rise to power of Solomon, of King Solomon, and just just this portion of his life and what God did and the lessons that he's teaching us through that. What if you were King Solomon and God himself were to say, what shall I give you? What do you want? You can have anything. Try to imagine that moment with Solomon. Did he just have an immediate answer? Or were there a couple of other things that came into his head first? And he thought, wait, boy, I've always wanted. Or if he just knew right away. Well, we're about to see what wish he would make when he wishes from his heart. Now, before we do that and to understand what Solomon wished for, we need to kind of know what kind of man he was. Where was he? I mean, we've been introduced to him. We've gotten to know him over the last several weeks. Solomon was an amazing guy. He had ascended to the, to the throne uh, against opposition uh, to him being in that place. And we saw that it was not through his own ambition. 
that, that it was just so much evidence that God was in his life and that God had uh, wanted this and had anointed him. He led with power and with courage. He didn't back down, and in those tough moments would have been so easy, so easy to compromise or even in fearfulness to hide away and to try to come back later, but he didn't. He took a stand when he needed to take a stand. He did the hard thing of eliminating his enemies. Uh, we know he had a lot of political uh, insight. He, he knew when to zig and when to zag. He was a man of action. He was a leader. But what kind of guy was he? What kind of person is he inside? What about the spiritual life of King Solomon? When no one else is around, when all the servants are away and the armies are gone and, and, and he's just alone there in his palace at night, who is he? What is the quality of his heart before the Lord? I think when we answer that question, we're going to figure out why and what he wished for when he wished. And I think at the same time, we're going to see a little bit about who we are and why we wish for some of the things that we wish for. What is it that fuels that? What is it that motivates us to say, I want that? The Bible describes Solomon as a man after David's own heart. Now, before we skip over that, and that's in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Um, the Bible says that Solomon loved the Lord, and he walked in the statutes of David his father. And I don't know if you realize how big a compliment that really is. Because you've got David, who is a man after God's own heart. David was absolutely amazing. I mean, he was this great military leader. He was I don't know who to compare him to, a great, like Alexander the Great or uh, somebody who's just conquered and conquered and is just so smart and knowing what to do. He's like, in honor of the Bluegrass Band today, I'll just tell you, David was like Robert E. Lee. He was that kind of a guy. Amen. But he's also this man with a heart of worship. He loved the Lord. Have you ever heard Francis Chan speak? And you know when he's in the midst of something and you just see his heart? Have you ever read uh, Oswald Chambers and you just feel his heart on every page, this passion that he brings, this intimacy, this love for the Lord? So not only is he a warrior and he's got this heart for, for God, but he can express it in beautiful ways. He, he's, he's like Chris Tomlin or someone, you know, he can just write this beautiful music. And you just think, oh, that's it. That's exactly the way I wanted to say it. Oh, God, that's, that's so much the way I feel. I just didn't know how to... That's beautiful. All my fountains, they're, they're in you. They're in you. David was all of that. And then when Solomon comes along, and he's also politically savvy. I believe, and I've told you this before, David was the best king Israel ever had. He was the George Washington, the Ronald Reagan. He was that guy. He just knew what was good for the nation. He just knew how to go forward and to take people with him. And then he has this son, Solomon, and people would look at him and go, Solomon, he's just like his daddy. He's, he's the same as David. He's a man after David's heart. 
So it's saying a lot right up front that we know who he is. He adored the Lord. It was not academic with him. It was not his duty as the king. Is it time to go? Yeah, let me get my church clothes on. Let me get my king clothes on and become that guy. And then when it's over, I'll be somebody else. No, he was who he is. And he was that guy in private and in public all the time. He adored the Lord. And he responded to God emotionally. Does God still move you emotionally? Do you still feel a deep spiritual longing in your soul? You know, this passionate yearning. God, I want to go deeper. Lord, I want to know you. I want to be closer to you. That was Solomon. In chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was where the great high place was. We're going to come back and talk about that in just a moment. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. You have any idea how expensive that was? Solomon, it's time to go up and we're going to do some sacrifices. What can we put you down for? Um, I'm going to do a thousand. You're going to do what? Yeah, a thousand. That's going to be a lot of trouble. A thousand of anything in one place and getting it done, that's just, that's what I want to do. And even that's not enough. You see his heart? That's going to be expensive. It's going to be time-consuming. It's going to be trouble. And he says, you know what? I, I can't do enough. It was a great price, and it was extraordinary labor in sacrificing a thousand animals on the altar of God. But Solomon said, God, I just want to show you my love. Now, I'm going to say this, and, and I'm not taking a jab. I know, you know, sometimes preachers take a cheap shot, and you go, oh, I can't. Well, he set us up and then, you know, like punched us in the throat. <clears throat> but I think this, you love that, I know. I look at Solomon giving a thousand. I think some of us struggle with just giving 10% of an income in an already comfortable, you know, extravagant life. Or 5% or any percent. Like, now, you know what? I just can't do it this month. I'm just saying, all I'm saying is that our actions speak so loud. Sometimes I don't know if God can hear what we say because he's like, I, I know you. I know your heart because I'm looking at your whole life, at all of you. And he could look at Solomon and see that inside, as well as his expressions on the outside, everything fit. Everything lined up. It matched. Oh, God, I trust you for my finances. Why don't you give? Lord, I, can we, I just trust you for my finances. Can we just keep it at that? But you don't want to get, yeah, Lord, yeah, I got to go. You know, he wants us to be consistent. First Kings um, chapter 3, verse 5, God appeared to Solomon and he speaks with him. And then I want you to see his expression, how affectionate he was, how comfortable and intimate when he spoke back to the Lord in verse 6. He says, you have shown great and steadfast love uh, to my father, uh, Dave, I, I'm, I think I messed you up with the verse there. I'm sorry. You've shown this great love with my, to my father, David. And I see that. I know I didn't invent this. I know it started before me. I know you were loving my family before you loved me. And some of you, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day, and, and we were sharing testimonies. And he goes, well, you know, my testimony, you know, I grew up in church, got saved at vacation Bible school. You know, I did the whole thing, the Sunday school, the trips, the youth group. He said, I've just, I've just always loved the Lord. I just sat there and I thought, how beautiful is that? And he was discounting it. 
He was like, you know, I just kind of wish. I said, no, you don't. I said, trust me, from a guy who was so foolish to spend like the first part of his life away from the Lord, there's nothing glamorous about that. There's nothing cool about that. Except that you got ahead of me spiritually, you know, dur- during that time. If you have Christian parents, if you have Christian grandparents, let me just tell you, that's no small thing. You ought to call them this afternoon or tomorrow or text them, email, tweet them, Facebook them, whatever it is you do with Papa and Mimo. Uh, let them know, hey, thank you. Thank you. Don't take that for granted. It's a big thing. This week, I had an opportunity to talk to two people. One is Chuck Solomon. And the other is John Shepard, who's going to be one of the speakers for our missions conference this year. And both of those guys, one's in his 70s, one's in his 80s. And I said, you know what? I just want to tell you, thank you. I've got a few mentors in, in, in our own church, in this community. I said, but thank you that your best days of ministry have been in the second half of your life, toward the end, when a lot of people are retiring and they're sitting back going, did my part, I'm done, my turn's over. Both these guys are stepping up going, are you kidding? John said, I have led more people to Christ in the last five years than I did all the other years ahead of that. I said, I want to be you. <laughs> I, want to be, I don't want to go, at the end of my life. Thank you. And I think that's what Solomon's doing. He goes, I know it didn't start with me. I know I didn't invent this. My daddy loved you. And I saw in him something. He'd make mistakes. Yeah, he was so goofy and quirky. And boy, he really messed up sometimes. But his heart was after you. And he loved you. And I love you like that too. And I love you like that because I saw it in him. Let your kids see that it's real in you. Not that you just go to church. Not that you just pray at dinner time. Let them see your heart for Jesus. Let them know, if they don't know anything else about you, Mama really loved Jesus. Yeah, she had, boy, she had a crazy hairdo, didn't she? And well, wouldn't, couldn't she just embarrass you to death when she, yeah, but you know what? I, she sure did love Jesus. Let that come through. I think that came through in Solomon, in this affectionate prayer, and this model that, that he lived. When was the last time you just simply told the Lord, God, I just want to thank you. Later today, I'm going to ask you for a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know me, and I'm going to. I'm just going to keep bringing things to you. But right now, in this moment, just thank you. Thank you for how you've loved me. Now, I'm not going to pull back from that. I don't want you to think, okay, now I'm going to change gears. That is true, and that is, that is the rhythm of Solomon's life. However, we're going to see there were some warning signs in his life that give us an indication this love for the Lord wasn't wholehearted. I don't think it was 100%. Now, when I started reading Scripture, and, you know, and I would come to this, this, this guy who kind of confuses me sometimes, uh, you know, you, you're talking about questions. You know, I got all these questions before I come to the Lord. Me too, you know. And I still have questions now. I'm getting a lot more answers. But one of them was, God, I can't figure Solomon out. Where was he with you? Because he's such a nice guy. And then he seems to go through this change. 
And later, he just does some incredibly dumb things and spiritual things that are just like, God, no, why would you do that? And the traditional view is that he was faithful until the last years of his life, and then he kind of got off track. Maybe so, but I think if we look at his life a little more carefully, even in these scriptures, when he's just being initiated, when he's just rising into to the power, we're going to see hints, <clears throat> pardon me, hints of, of his eventual downfall, of where he's headed. And here's where I see it. And it's what I saw. This is so crazy. Do you remember last week I said, here's three enemies. They had to be defeated. And the passion, the kingdoms that these guys were running, the agenda they had that was within the bigger kingdom of God. They're like, yeah, Solomon, we want to serve your kingdom. But over here we got this going on and we're not letting go of that. And I said, a lot of us are like that in the kingdom of Jesus. This is the weird part. The things we identified in those three men that were, that were really motivational for them and their behaviors. It's the same things I see in Solomon. Power, sex, and money. I know everything doesn't come down to those three. They're pretty, pretty big. And this is what we're going to see in Solomon's life. Power, sex, and money. These little kingdoms that he had going on. That makes some of you feel awkward already. You're thinking, wow, that wish thing. I was halfway through like $100 million. Uh, you know, I, 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 had already, I had already banged my way all the way. I'd spent half of that. And now you're saying money. Some of you, so in, you're involved in inappropriate sexual relationships or you're headed that way. Power, some of you, you know, you, you just so, you, you do want that position, you want those accolades and that prestige that goes along with the influence. You want things the way you want it. They're saying it's, it's, it's incredible the damage that just those three little things, here's all this other stuff, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all that that brings into our life, just those three things. That's why I think the enemy's not terribly creative because he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to come up with some weird, bizarre plan to crash your life. You know, how, how, can I, how can I bring about this wreck in their life spiritually? Oh, let's do something really different. I think the enemy goes, no, nah, we don't need to do anything. Let's just do the same things. It works. <laughs> it just works. So be on your guard. I think that's where Solomon made a mistake. This first warning sign is in chapter 3. Uh, and I'm going to look at the very first verse in this chapter. Let's see, I'm going to, I'll just, can I read it up here? I'll just read it, um, and I hope my, I don't think my version matches, but don't let that, that throw you off um, if, it's, if it's not up there. Um, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, something kind of hit you funny already. Egypt? where they were in bondage and the Red Sea and killing the babies and we're in slavery. That's just kind of the picture that we're going to cozy up to them. He took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Solomon, what are you doing? I mean, this is an awkward union 
This is kind of this, who did he marry? You know, one of those kind of, they're getting married, really? And since we have no reason, you know, to think that Pharaoh's daughter had faith in the God of Israel, we can only conclude that Solomon was in what the Bible calls, you know, being unequally yoked. Now, sometimes, we've heard a beautiful testimony today, sometimes God does amazing and wonderful things where one person in a relationship is not a Christian and the other is. But here's a principle that I'm going to tell you because that usually doesn't happen. And this is not an issue of, of ethnicity <laughs> because the, the Bible is, is, totally supports the union of people from different ethnic backgrounds. It's not about that. This is an issue of spirituality. It's hardly surprising that marrying outside of his faith would be one of the biggest factors that would eventually lead King Solomon into idolatry. Because that's what his wife and her family and her background and her faith, that's where, that's where it's all coming from. And the Bible goes so far, you know, in the first eight verses, you know, the, the Bible says that the very king who once it was said, this is what it said about him, he loved the Lord. Later, in 1 Kings 11, 1, you know what it's going to say? You know what the writer's going to say? This is a man who loved many foreign women. That was one of his appetites. He loved foreign women. And that was going on behind the scenes. So his example is a warning. And I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to you guys and other people scattered across this room. Do not pursue a romantic relationship with anyone who's not committed to Christ. We are called to be missionaries, but not in our dating life. <laughs> We're called to reach people for Christ, but in those relationships, who you marry will be the second biggest and most influential decision of your life. After my decision, am I going to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus? Am I going to submit to his kingdom or am I going to have my own kingdom? Am I going to be a king or am I going to let him be my king? After I've got that question settled, the next big question is who am I going to marry? There's nothing that will influence you and change you and draw you towards Christ or away from Christ like that one thing. You may not like me saying that, and some of you may think, yeah, I'm so glad to, hear, to know because my child's in the room or uh, my mom just got a divorce and she's dating a shady guy and I'm thinking, what are you doing? You know, find somebody that loves Jesus. Another problem with this marriage was it created, it formed this unholy alliance with Egypt. Now, this isn't a slam against modern-day Egypt. What I'm saying is this. A royal marriage like this was intended to secure a political and a military alliance. By marrying Pharaoh's daughter, Solomon's trying to help Israel become a player on the stage. He's pushing them to international power in this political game that he's playing. And it seems like Israel was often tempted to take that route to get where they wanted to be. But God wanted Israel just to trust him. And not the fact that, oh, we're best friends with fill in the blank. In this case, Egypt. They're incredibly powerful at this point in history. Massive army, technology, uh, they had it all going on. Wow, wouldn't that be great to have, have him as my father-in-law? 
I'm in. We're, we're golden. And we have fought so much. And it seems like every time we turn around, someone's attacking us. And we've got these ites and those isms to deal with. I bet they wouldn't be so fast if they knew we were pals with Egypt. It looked good. And so he went for it. Be careful who you align yourself with. Going back to Egypt may or may not have been a good political decision, but it was an awful, it was absolutely terrible, bad decision spiritually. And the Bible tells what happened. So I, I think this was a warning uh, for Solomon, but I think it's a warning for us too to not try to advance our position by joining spiritual forces with worldly people who are working against the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you can't work wherever, at Kroger or Starbucks or your company or that, this place, or that you can't be in a family. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When you align your heart with someone with an ungodly heart and you work to promote that agenda, you're in a dangerous place. And, and it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Now, Solomon's heart was tempted. He, he, he was always tempted by luxury and by money. He always wanted, you know, he would be in his chariot, and then he would see the new models come out, and he'd look and go, look at that chariot. Man, I bet that thing's fast. I want one of those. I'm trading in. My, oh, I want one. Of, you know, he, was, he was that kind of guy. Where'd you get that crown? You like it? Yeah, I had it made special. You know, I mean, he, he, he just kind of leaned that way. A lot of people do. In fact, verse 2 says that until, here's what happened when Solomon's building, his, building the temple. It says the people were sacrificing at the high places because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Like his people, Solomon sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. This is verse 3 and 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because there was a high place there. Why was he going there? Because he spent all his time and money working on his own house. Okay, here, I'm back at that subject again, aren't I? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just seems like it just, it just kind of weaves itself and kind of lands back there. He's spending all of his money, his time, and his energy building a really nice crib. He's, he's got this, come in here, let me show you this. Uh, you know, and he's got a big blank wall, and he goes, what's that? He goes, I'm waiting on flat screens to be invented because I'm going to put one right there. It's going to be so cool, you know. And, and he just, he, that's where he is. And he's got his house done, and he just keeps going back into it and thinking, we need another room. We need another place. You know what, I can fix this up a little better. Meanwhile, across town, the church is falling apart. And so I was like, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Let's just keep going to the high places. It's nice over there. We can, we can just, we can worship there. There was a problem with that. The term high place is specific. Uh, it had these extremely terrible, these bad, uh, condon, um, what am I trying to say? Implications, I guess, in the Old Testament. Especially here in First and Second Kings. Uh, it's just so negative. Every time you see it in, in, expressed in Scripture, because... These were elevations where the people went to worship. Uh, and after a while, they became associated with pagan idolatry. And it was real confusing to the people in the community um, what that was about. And 1 Kings 3 says this, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only, 
Only except, but he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Only means he shouldn't have. He's doing, he's doing a lot of good things, but I got to tell you, his worship life, he's, he's compromising because he's, he's more focused on his own stuff. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, I just want you to see the um, kind of why this is significant because it says this, you shall, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall uh, dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and every under, green, uh, under every green tree. You shall not worship the Lord your God that way. He said, I don't want you doing that. I want you to get rid of that junk out of your life. I want you to stop going there. And instead of doing that, you fast forward a few verses, and he says this, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices. God said, I want you to get out of that mess. I want you to get away from that. And it just keeps luring you back. Just, I want you to set up a different place. I want you to do something fresh and different and beautiful. Stop going to the high places. Stop going to the high places. Solomon's like a lot of us. He did love the Lord. I think he really did. But he also had some other loves in his life. He loved the Lord, but he quietly had these struggles going on. Now that many of us have placed our faith in Jesus, and on the basis of his perfect life and on his atoning death, that you know that when God sees you and he looks at you, you are perfectly righteous in his sight. It's taken me a long time. In our next series, we're going to talk more about that, just the significance and the power of what the cross has actually done and it's just bigger than you ever dreamed and realized. But, you know, there's a part of us that we, we long to, to continue to live out in the sinful world. And that's where we die to our flesh. We die to ourselves. And we say, God, it looks like I'm trying to build up another little kingdom again. Would you crucify that in me? Would you tear it down? Would you bulldoze that? Because I just, I, just I just want your kingdom to be the only thing going on in me. That's when Solomon asked for the wisdom of God. He said that the Bible says in, in, in verse 5, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. I can imagine. Can you imagine the Lord asking you that? What do you want? I'm going to give it to you. Wow. No conditions? No conditions. Whatever you say. So think about it before you say it. Whatever your request is. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's unprecedented. What an invitation. But with it comes this test. Because the way Solomon responded would reveal his character. So here's how he prayed. Here's what he said. This is verse 3 and 7 in chapter 3. It says, And now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of David my father. I'm just a little kid. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to even go out and come in. I don't even know the procedure, the protocol. Uh, this is so new to me. And your servant is in the midst of a lot of people. Look at all, there's, there's all these people whom you've chosen. A great multitude. I can't even count them. It's reminiscent of how God answered the promise to Abraham. You won't even be able to count them. Solomon says, well, we're there, and I'm the king of all those people. 
and I don't know what to do. Later, Solomon would become famous in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, for saying this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He feared the Lord, and that's where it started. He had this respect for God. He goes, I know where to go, and I know it's you, and I know I don't know these things. So he has this proper knowledge, this insight of the greatness of God, and, and tagged to that, linked to it, there is this proper knowledge of his own limitations. And those two sync together so well. God, I know how great you are. I know how great I'm not. And I'm just going to ask for you to inject wisdom because I'm not going to bring together your kingdom and what you want to happen with my abilities. I am so aware of who I am. He's not kidding himself. So he says this. In verse 9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, because who else? How could anybody govern so great a people as this without you? How in the world can they do that? You know what? I'm going to ask that too. I'm going to ask it in my life. I'm going to ask it nationally in November. <laughs> I'm, just you, I'm, not, I'm not going to go all politic on you, although we are registered voters in the foyer before and after services. But I want to know if somebody has a respect for things holy. If they're getting their wisdom just from looking around a room with a bunch of other people, or if they're going before the Lord and going, Oh God, I don't know how to do this. Lord, please show me where to go next. Solomon's asking with all of his being, with all of himself. And the Bible says, this is going to blow up in just a moment. The Bible says that um, what that means, this whole person, he says, when I ask with a listening heart, it's a little word, shomea, it implies obedience. He said, you say it and I'm ready to act on it. Not just you say it and I heard that, because that's the way I live some of my spiritual life, isn't it you? You go, God, speak to me. I already did. I told you what to do yesterday. Yeah, I didn't like yesterday. And that's not, give me something else. Give me something a little more fun or something that I like doing. Well, okay, well, why don't you go do this? Yeah, I like that. You know, God says, no, I'm just going to speak and you just be ready. God says, I need, I need to make a, a withdrawal from your account. Okay, well, here, let me sign my name. Here's a blank check, Lord. You, you fill it in. Don't come to God conditionally. Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, what else do you want me to do? Do you have something? Can, can this be a multiple choice? Can you give me three things and I pick the one? That's not how this works. That's not how it works. It's God's just going to say, this is what I want you to do. Lord, they're so hard. I know. But I'm not asking you to do it by yourself. And I'm going to go with you. And I know it doesn't make sense because you can't see the outcome. That's what wisdom is. You trust me. And watch what happens next. I need wisdom. You need wisdom. It's different from experience and knowledge and intuition and all of that. It's wisdom. It's this insight from God. And the Lord said this, Because you have asked for this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, I mean, any of those things that kind of came to our minds, he said, you've asked for yourself to be understanding and to be able to discern what is right. He said, behold, that's what I'm going to do. According to your word, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a wise and discerning mind so that there is not going to be anybody who's ever lived before you or comes after you who is wise like you. None like you. And he just poured it. He, he just inundated him with this wisdom. 
And Saul knew immediately everything else is inferior to this. Later in Proverbs, he would say, wisdom is better than jewels. It's better than anything else you can desire. Whatever you've got to sacrifice to get wisdom, get that. It trumps everything. It's everything. He made this huge impact on the world. He led a long life. There were riches that were attached to that. Uh, it's amazing. If you want to continue to read and follow what happens in his story, and he could have selfishly pursued all those things. But you know, it just fits. It just matches what, what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. They'll be, they'll, that'll come. That will follow. You'll see. That'll follow. You just keep your eyes on Jesus. You just go after him. There was a point in my life when, you know, I, I was always looking around and I, I, I'd not been a Christian for a while. And so I become a Christian. I go to a Christian university. Uh, and I don't know if you know what's at Christian universities. Christian girls go there. I, I had not been around that many Christian women my entire life. And I look around, I'm like, they're everywhere. Oh, you know, and I think, you know, and the, the Lord just said, stop it. You're not here about that. You, you look at me. Look at me. You ever had your parents do that? Look at me. Look, look, right, look. And you wipe that look off your face. You know, you, what look? You know, and you're, I'm mean, and your mother starts talking in staccato. Young man, I'm mean it. Look at me. I had a flashback of my mother, and I'm looking at your mama. I think God is saying, look at me. Look at me. Just follow me. And you're going to turn around one day, and you're going to have a beautiful wife. You're going to have a godly woman. You're going to have the husband that you long for. If that's what God has designed for you, you're going to have a ministry. You're going to have this. You're going to... I'm not saying God's going to give you boats and cars and the latest this and that. I'm going to say he's going to satisfy your heart. He will. Stop chasing after that stuff. Just go after Jesus. You know, I used to tell people when I was in student ministry, you just run after Jesus. I know it's like a cliche. And just keep looking at him. And every now and then, just glance over and see who's running with you. <laughs> see who's going in the same direction. Hey, I'm Dan. You know? <laughs> hey, I'm Kathy. I'm headed to Jesus. Yeah, me too. How about that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He'll give you a heart of wisdom. The Bible says this, and, and, I, and I love this verse. It's, it's in Colossians 2, 3. That in him, that in Jesus, as great as Solomon was, all the wisdom that he had, and you think, wow, nobody's smart like Solomon. Check it out, Colossians 2, 3. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Jesus has even more. And he's telling you today, he's telling me, come to me. I make Solomon look like such a loser. And I want to pour this wisdom into your life straight from me. Now, here's a verse, because I, I just think, I just think a lot of us in this room today, and we need wisdom. You're about to make a big decision, 
or you know you have a need in your life or there's a controversy or a confrontation you got to make this week and you're thinking I don't know what to do I'm not sure good news good news you don't have to figure this out by yourself here's this great verse and it's either true or it's not true here it is it's in James chapter 1 if any of you lacks wisdom Okay, I don't know about you. I'm doing it on the outside. Maybe you're doing it on the inside. Yeah, that would be... I, I, I need wisdom. Let him ask God who gives reluctantly. He's kind of stingy about it. He's just going to kind of... No. He gives generously to all without reproach. And that reproach means condemnation or judgment or criticism. He's not going to say, well, I told you if you went out with him, this would happen. Well, I was trying to speak to your heart the whole time. And, and I told you in the Bible, now here you are. Now you want wisdom. I can't believe you'd come to me. Why I ought to, you know. God's not going to do that. He says, without reproach. So, so I'm so glad you've come. I have wisdom for you. You see, most of the messes we're living in, we created you can be a victim, and maybe you are, and I respect that, but most of the messes we live in, we created. And then we come back to the Lord like, uh, you know that thing, you know, well, you know, it just didn't work out like I thought, and you were right, I'm wrong. I need some help. I need some help really, really bad. It will be given to him. Do this with me. I want you to stand for just a moment, and I want you to, we're going to read this together out loud, Okay? Because I want you to know, you can go to the bank with this. This is going to be the verse this week that's going to hopefully change the trajectory of your situation, of your life, the moment you're living in. I don't know, you know, we talked Wednesday night that God keeps his promises in three ways. Sometimes they're miraculous. Sometimes they're, he calls us to work alongside him. And then sometimes he doesn't change the situation so much as he just changes us. And I don't know which of those three ways he's going to work, but he's going to work in your life. Now, let's say this together. Let's read it together, and then we're going to pray. We're just going to have a time of prayer and say, God, I'm going to pray for wisdom, and here's what I want you to do. Uh, uh, not that I want you to do. I don't know how that sounds, but um, let's don't be... I think if you ask for things generally, God says, okay. God, I just need blessings, just general blessings. And God's like, okay, here's some general blessings. <laughs> oh, Thanks. You know, it's like one of those upgrades where they say, we've made 200 improvements, and I go, whoa, I just wanted this and this. And I don't realize those. Ask specifically, God, I need wisdom in this area of my life. It's about my job. It's about my relationship. It's about my health. It's about my children. It's about, let's be, let's be specific and let God funnel in specific wisdom where it's needed. Okay, you ready to read? Let's read this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all who without reproach, and it will be given to him. Father, I thank you that you didn't um, bring us here and then leave us on our own. I thank you that you long to give us wisdom. And James, uh, another place, the Bible says... Um, we have not because we ask not. We just didn't ask. And that's why we're still where we are. Father, we're asking today, and we're going to humble ourselves before you, 
And we're just going to ask for specific wisdom. And I pray on behalf of my friends and my brothers and sisters in this room um, that you would give to us in Christ exactly what Solomon had. That we can be wiser than the wisest man in the world because we have Jesus living on the inside. And it's his kingdom that rules over us. Father, for some in this room, today will be the first day they've had hope about something in a long time. That they'll go back out encouraged, knowing that your wisdom is going to change things as we move forward with you. We do that now, and we ask you in Jesus' name for wisdom.